Marcus Barnes is a man of many talents, an author, journalist, copywriter, mentor, and coach dedicated to being a progressive voice in the world of writing, especially surrounding music, culture, and mental health. It is a joy to talk to him, Marcus, today on Sober Sex. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, mental health, sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got it, mental growth, sober, sex, all of this and more. So thank you for for being um, perseverant <laughs> with techno technical difficulties. Um, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I had a a really big achievement yesterday. I passed my driving tests at I the saw that. old age of forty two. So congratulations! <laughs> so I'm buzzing on the road. Thank you. It's it's a, it's you. a it's a good deal. Did you pass it with a stick or an automatic? With a manual, yeah, stick, yeah, yeah. Congratulations! Yeah, I have, I can only drive automatic. <laughs> I'm very impressed by a stick shift. <laughs> Where Where's the first place? Well, as long that, as you can do it, hey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, licensed licensed driver, but congratulations! That is a really gigantic achievement. Where's Where's the first place you plan on on going? I think I'm just going to traverse the roads around my local area. For a little while just so i can get acquainted with driving on my own because i literally have never driven on my own it's always been with an instructor so i think i'm just gonna just bounce around my local area and just get acquainted with the roads a little bit more and also just be in absolutely independent in my own vehicle really i mean i think it is like a real game changer but a lot can come up around it just in terms of like i can go wherever i want but like by myself and also i'm like driving a what could be considered a bomb <laughs> like, uh, did, did you have any what was what what held you back just like lack of necessity from doing it prior or or anxiety yeah, yeah, or totally that it was totally like yeah I, I spent most of my life living in London where it's expensive to have a car but also public transport is very reliable now sure. I live outside London and the area that I live in the the buses are terrible and so it just got to this point where I was like, I, I can't keep on relying on absolutely atrocious, atrocious public transport anymore. And also, you know, I've got a daughter who's four and a half years old. I don't want to be rushing her out of the door all the time going, oh, the bus is due in five minutes. Come on, let's go. I want to be able to go. Let's go wherever we want to go and we'll go when we can get there and we'll just leave the house whenever we want. Jump in a car, put some of your favorite music on, you can play with your toys. So, you know, it's just having that idea of like going on adventures with her as well was like really... Um, a bit a big part of making that decision to to finally learn how to drive that's awesome though and like what a what a great incentive so congratulations that is a massive achievement and you mentioned i was good i assumed you were in london but you it sounds like you've recently moved out of the city center how's the transition been where i live is half an hour by bus from the from the train station so it takes me about an hour 
to get to to West London and most of my friends and family and a lot of other sort of professional connections are more kind of like east Mm -hmm. so it can take sometimes an hour and a half two hours to get to where I need to get to I've been down here for just over three years um the transition was covid related I'm not going to go into great detail but basically lost the place that me and my ex-partner were living at in in London and got um welcomed into my ex-partner's mother's house but it was a very very difficult transition um I, I especially was um I guess in a way like the master of my own suffering which a lot of us can be for sure I, I just <laughs> I, was, I was very very resistant to to being out here and especially during like all the lockdown stuff as well it was it was it was a very difficult transition to go through and having to let go of the place that we lived at in southeast london i grew up in south southeast london as well we had a really nice apartment and yeah it was it was it was very very challenging in in many different ways i hear that and especially when it doesn't feel like it's a choice when it feels like it's kind of a necessity and there and it's not a necessity you appreciate the surrender can be really 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 tough but it sounds like you're kind of getting your bearings and that maybe hopefully you've started to like it Three and a half, three, three and a bit years in, I I feel like maybe this year has been the year when I've I've really started to accept that I'm here. You know, I've got my own place, which has been very helpful in in that acceptance process. However, it, it's it still it can still bring up a lot of resistance because, especially if I'm going up to London to see friends or family or go to music events, because one of the down points to Reading is that it's a bit of a cultural void so there's there's really not a lot of interesting stuff going on here so I have to go to London especially working in music you know there's so much stuff going on there and there'll be times where I'll be on the train coming back down and it's late or I've missed the train so I have to take the long train and it just takes me a long time to get back home and then I get back here and I'm like I wish I was still in London yeah (laughs) yeah and I mean also I think it sounds like some identity stuff you know, yeah. as, a, as a New Yorker who's now living in the, like the middle of the countryside, it can kind mm. of be like an identity shock to be like, wait, like, what is my life? And I, mine was very voluntary just because I there was I felt really disillusioned post COVID and Paris felt like really aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. But I can totally understand that if it wasn't like a choice, it felt like more of a situation that you were like shoved into that that would have been really a t- challenging pill to swallow. But I'm glad that you're yeah. starting to kind of. Yeah, starting to choke it down. Um, and I'm curious, uh, just we always ask, uh, what are your pronouns? He, him. She, her. And I'm and I'm one of our other anchor questions, so it doesn't feel like too performative, is that like, what's your experience of gender today? And that can be like your gender or gender as a concept or. Um, yeah, so I was saying that um it's something that wasn't even present really when I was in my formative years as a, as a conversation or something that was, you know, really spoken about. And now it feels like it, it's almost towards the forefront of the human experience. And, you know, certainly in terms of um, discussions in the digital space and in the real world, um, yeah, it feels very present and something that a lot of a lot of people are very much uh, aware of, you know, of going back to the pronouns thing, you know, it's something that appears in most people's uh, email um, signatures now and in their bios on social media, etc. So um, 
yeah, there's just uh, what I've noticed is that there's just a lot more awareness around gender. For sure. And I wonder if, um, like, if that awareness has changed your experience at all? Because I often find that, like, like, especially cis men don't necessarily have the opportunity to, like, explore that a lot, I think, <laughs> like, as a result of kind of the, the patriarchy, mostly, I assume. Um, and I wondered if, like, that, I mean, you seem like you're active in a lot of different spaces that are kind of around shifts in culture. And I wonder if, um, like, this kind of awakening, at least in in the worlds that we occupy, has has changed your awareness of your own experience. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, uh, I guess, not really, um, but also on the on the more spiritual side of things. I've, and it's not really connected to gender, but it kind of is. I've I've done a fair amount of reading and and work around um, masculine and feminine energy, Very and, cool. and and what they mean and how to embody them. And, you know, it's not necessarily um, connected to gender because, you know, you can be, uh, you can identify as a woman, but embody masculine energy for, you know, the, the most part of your life. Um, so it's it's less to do with, I guess, like the physical or the, the identity roles and more to do with energetic um, expression and how you express yourself energetically and what that energy means in terms of your expression. So, you know, like masculine is kind of defined it's it's more kind of linear and direct whereas um feminine is more kind of flowing and and to do with creativity and and one kind of feeds into the other um and and and, and in order to operate in in a harmonious manner um they obviously need to work in 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 the in a harmonious way so if you're embodying too much masculine energy as a man or a woman that can be quite detrimental to you in, in one way or another. And similarly, if you're embodying too much feminine energy, but they can be very useful um, in, in different aspects of your life. Yeah, that's really cool. I Like no one's actually kind of brought that up before when asked the question. And I really appreciate that take because I think also like we hear a lot about kind of toxic masculinity in, in our culture. And I think that there's also such a thing as like, kind of benevolent or positive masculine energy just as such as there's like a there can be toxic femininity too and that's 100%. that's really interesting that you like it's in your view it sounds like it's more of kind of finding the balance as opposed to occupying one space or the other yeah for sure and like i said they they have their uses in different contexts so you know um i, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now but there can be situations where it's useful to have more to express more masculine uh, energy say for for example if you're in a leadership role and you know you need to communicate in a direct manner and you need to have structure and and you know, all of that kind of stuff that's where masculine energy comes into play for sure i mean i feel like often when i'm when i'm playing music when i'm performing i have a lot of masculine energy Mm. Um, <laughs> like, like I try and kind of channel like Iggy Pop. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, nice. let's get weird. Um, but that's yeah, that's really. I mean, and I think also kind of having like a flow state or um, you know, kind of an open creative vibe is also a nice thing to occupy sometimes. Um, Definitely, and you know, if if you're if you're going to be creative, often it can be useful to have structure. So you know, that's where the masculine feeds into the feminine, and they work together. For sure. 
for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, it seems, uh, wait, I guess we'll kind of pivot to start talking about how we initially connected, which was um, during a role switch interview <laughs> for mm -hmm. Happy Tuesdays. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that project and how you got involved in it. Sure. This was a one of those wonderful rare occurrences where a LinkedIn message actually leads to something. <laughs> oh, <useful>. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rather than some random recruiter trying to hire you for something that's not even related to your skills. Um, yeah, the, the the owner of Happy Tuesdays reached out to me coming up to two years ago now. It was, I think it was around January uh, 2022. And he, he had this idea of getting me on board to, to start helping to write their Instagram posts um, because they had found that they were getting a little bit of traction around uh, writing, uh, posting content that was um, centered around the ethos of being positive about the party lifestyle, uh, you know, as the antithesis to a lot of this stuff that talks about the toxicity of the party lifestyle and, you know, the downsides to it. And also, uh, more recently, these these meme accounts that kind of celebrate the excess of the party lifestyle, mm. you know, there's lots of these meme accounts. Yeah, just about, like, memes about, like, of them doing coke at after hours. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know what? They they make me laugh, and they remind me of times past. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm like, they remind but, me of... Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so I, I got on board because I, I, I liked what they were doing, and I, I thought it was um, an interesting. And we clicked, you know, Jamie and I, the, the owner of Happy Tuesdays, and it started off with I was the the ideas person and the writer. So every month I'd come up initially come up with uh, four ideas for topics that we could cover. Uh, that then grew into six ideas and we now do them in batches uh, we do them kind of every six weeks and it's just really really flourished in such a lovely way and you know I'm, as as a, on, a, on a sort of personal slash professional level I'm, I'm not always that fussed about following and engagement and blah 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 but we, we've seen such a, a big um, upshoot in the amount of people that follow and engage with the account and I'm really proud of that because we've we've developed this ethos, which I said, you know, is around being positive about the party lifestyle and and giving advice and in areas where we're not necessarily feel like we're we're experts. We we bring in expert voices. We're collaborating with people like we we did with yourself, and and really trying to cover the full spectrum of lots of the different things that occur within the party lifestyle. It's not just here's healthy ways to go out and be sober and party. And, and we don't position ourselves as like a sober account. We're more about encouraging people to be, to make healthy choices mm -hmm. in terms of like how they navigate the party lifestyle. So we're not putting out content all the time. that's like, Oh, drink lots of water and like, you know, go and take breaks. We do talk about stuff like that, but it's not just that because it's quite limiting and it also ostracizes like such a large demographic of people that go out and party who do take drugs and who do drink and who do do all of these kind of things. But it's, it's it, the point is that people get something very positive from partying, whether they're sober or not. And we, we don't want to discount that just because people are using substances. Like it's just the thing that we have to accept, but we can also try to be positive about the party lifestyle 
and and try to give people advice and you know plant seeds that may lead to them making like better choices when it comes to being out and about and partying every weekend or going to after parties or whatever for sure i mean and it also seems like that the the content and like the kind of care that you put into the the writing and the kind of what what ideas you're featuring is not necessarily even like it's it's not it doesn't feel like it's an ad you know that it really feels yeah. like it's actually yeah. kind of standalone useful information as opposed to like it's shoving happy tuesdays which i only recently learned is like a supplement company <laughs> it's like they do like rave recovery See, exactly. packs right yeah so this this was the thing that you know we i think initially there was maybe partially like the, the idea of like you know the, the the instagram posts at least having some giving people some awareness of the products but it, it quickly within a month or two jamie was like do you know what I, i'm finding the content side of it so exciting and interesting i don't even care if we sell the products or not it's not about that and um and that's a really refreshing like you know things to come from someone who owns a company that that started off as a company that sells products and still sells products but there's there's nothing in any of our posts that's like go and buy this product because it's going to be good for you you know and and we and we, I don't even think about that when I'm coming up with ideas for for the posts and I think that's really helped us a lot because we're not about shoving it down people's throats at all we're, it's there and if you want to investigate and you want to try them out go for it they're there but what we're about is is being a content platform that is positive and and you know and and celebrates you know the the party lifestyle which has been so mon monumentally beneficial to so many of us drugs or no drugs you know for sure and again like i think is as you know a sober person and, and we'll get into your own sober journey a little bit later but this idea that it's like no one wants uh like a witch hunter like it, they they even say in kind of 12 step literature that like no one wants to be told a thing about alcohol by somebody who hates it you know and mm -hmm. so this idea of kind of taking a stance that's like yo <laughs> if you want to if you're having a good time have a great time we love that for you and mm -hmm. if it's not if it's not a good time anymore like we have resources <laughs> here, yeah. we're here for it too um completely and so that kind of gives us a nice a nice pivot because it seems like, you know, mental health within the music industry is a really important subject to both of us. And I'm wondering um, what your experience with both like the music industry and perhaps separately mental health uh, has been like for you. Yeah, so that's an interesting question. I, I have definitely found it ruling at times being you know i'm not even really on the front line i'm just behind the scenes writing stuff but also spent a lot of time being like knee deep in the dance floor in the green rooms in the booth here there festivals you know and all of that kind of caper so yeah i've been kind of on the fringes and then maybe sometimes a bit more immersed and then kind of like not and but yeah there, there's there was a period where i, I was you know maybe from about 2011 until maybe just kind of like pre-covid really where it, it it was there was a lot of excess and the thing is uh, i guess like this this is the same with artists um but they're a little bit more in the public eye as someone who's behind the scenes but also creative kind of in the public eye kind of not there can be a lot of self-doubt you know all of these things that get 
it repeatedly you know describes as part of the creative creative experience but it's all kind of exacerbated by an excessive lifestyle as well so i've definitely had times where it's it's been really tough really tough going and there was one particular moment uh back in 2014 where i'd had a really crazy summer <laughs> really crazy summer and i'm laughing because it, it was really fun and um me i i'd been to um ade and had a pretty intensive time there came back to london and literally had a few hours to get ready and then go to fabric birthday and um uh, you know I, I pushed myself a lot and was also um yeah in a in a kind of phase of getting together with somebody and you know all of the the emotions and i guess like um yeah like, like the mental impact of getting with somebody as well and yeah. you know there were a few things kind of floating around to that and uh, i i had a had a moment where i was just i was so spent I, i'm i'm sure literally all of my serotonin stores were just like completely obliterated and gone and i just i just had this moment where i just i was crying about something that was you know quite personal to do with that situation and um i think it was like maybe like a week or two later i said to the person that i was with at the time um that i wanted to go and like see somebody because i just wasn't feeling very good and i i also have to throw into the mix that i also had an impending court case that was putting a lot of pressure on me as well um so i think with all of that swirling around I know that I was self-medicating at that time in my life because I wasn't able to cope with all of the stuff that was going on in my head. So um, so I went to the doctor and said that I wasn't feeling good. They said that I could either go on to medication or go and see someone. So I, I opted for six sessions of talking therapy. And that was my first steps, I suppose. And also very, very, very early stage of thinking more about taking care of myself and the potential to go sober because the uh, the therapist that I went to see was like when I told her about my lifestyle was like well you need to stop doing that stuff that's not <laughs> helping a lot like absolutely not <laughs> I yeah, mean so. but that that's a it's really interesting how you kind of wove the, wove the two um like sides of that question together right that it is kind of a it was essentially the music industry and your involvement in it um and your mental health journey that kind of like had a, a point where they were intersecting in a way that felt really challenging. Yeah, for sure. But I, I have to throw into the mix also, I feel like I'm DJ now. I'm going to throw this into the mix. <laughs> hey. um, <laughs> I, I, the, I've been a journalist for 20 years and I've worked in three specific uh, specialist areas within journalism. Initially, I used to work in men's interest, like men's magazines which is quite interesting when it comes to gender because, you know, men's magazines were all about women with their boobs out and all of that kind of stuff and quote-unquote, like, laddie behaviour, like, you know, acting like a lad, football, blah, 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 this and that. And so, um, and, and then I went into showbiz reporting for a few years. So every phase of my career, men's magazines, showbiz reporting and working in music has given access to a plethora of parties and an abundance of all kinds of stuff just like floating around initially it was it was mostly alcohol actually for for most of my career it wasn't until i got into the music side of things that other stuff came into play but 
yeah, it, the party lifestyle was something that I was like very much acquainted with for the best part of my, my career, but also pre that being a student and then going back to being a teenager as well, you know, from like mid teens onwards. So especially growing um, up in London, I'm sure that there's a lot of access in bigger cities as a, as a borough bred. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I know that you mentioned a couple of times and even during our first chat that you've been sober for a while now and, um, obviously very excited to discuss that with you here on sober sex, but, um, I thought because typically we deal chrono chronologically, um, we might start with the sex part, um, as usually that comes first <laughs> before mm -hmm. sobriety. Um, so can you talk about the first messages you remember receiving around sex and sexuality? I've been thinking about this question and you know what? I don't even know. There wasn't really anything. There wasn't really anything. There, there was just... If if I if if I can speak about perhaps indirectly, of course, um, there was mom's a single mom, um, uh, like my mom and my aunties maybe like talking about men in front of me or like you know they're sometimes I can, I can kind of remember like you know the conversations being quite sexual at times, not always. I guess like the, 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 the general kind of messaging, if I can tap back into, you know, like that very early formative stage was hushed behind closed doors, a bit sordid, you know, and just mm. not something that was necessary or not open at all. And um, yeah, just hidden away. And yeah, like dirty, I can remember my granddad using the word saucy, but not in a kind of like cheeky way, but an actual like serious way <laughs> from that era. Um, and also like my, my mom had these, um, these, these, uh, this collection of like a little, maybe like A5 sized folders. Um, and it was this series called Face to Face. I'll never forget it. They were like, it was like a light gray kind of like, plastic key for and there was probably about maybe like six to eight volumes and in each of them it was like a, a guide to like all kinds of different stuff to do with sex from the biological side to birth to like you know the more physical and intimate sides like it was just this like almost like compendium or encyclopedia of like everything to do with sex and these folders were like on a bookshelf in in the front room and um and then my mom had a couple of like these like eighties kind of like soft focus like soft porn books as well photography books that were. In I mean, the this all sounds so, quite classy, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so like, so when whenever she went out, I'd just go and like have a flick through and get sort of titillated by them. But also the face to face stuff, especially, I was I was reading a lot of the stuff in there because I just found it interesting because it was like. I was being, I was privy to like this whole world that I didn't know anything about at the age of like maybe seven, eight or nine. And, um, you know, like getting aroused, but also just kind of like soaking up this information. So like, you know, as much as she didn't ever give me the talk as they call it, the, the information was there for me to delve into freely whenever I wanted to. And, you know, I, I, I I really, really doubt that she did that on purpose. But yeah, I feel quite thankful for that because I did get a lot of um, helpful information at a very early age. 
For sure. I mean, and also, like, I think probably the entry point for a lot of, like, preteens and teens these days is, like, internet porn. And it seems like mm-hmm. face-to-face is actually a much, like, healthier and more well-rounded, yeah. like, version of a sexual education than, like, 100%. like yeah, yeah Pornhub. Um and I'm curious, like, how did it unfold from there? Like, you talked about kind of, you know, having access to running around London at a, at a you know, youngish age and kind of, I know that you write a lot about, like, graffiti and club culture. And I'm wondering kind of how those things maybe informed, like, your sexuality or your, your information around that stuff. Yeah, funny. I was like, I was such a, such a nerd. There's nothing wrong with being a nerd. Nerds are the best. But um, <laughs> I was like, I was... I was very introverted, quite shy, but oh, it's weird. It's weird. I've always been like this. I'm a bit of a contradiction because I'm also very sociable. So um, I was just shy and awkward. When it came to women, like I, I just, I was just very, very shy and just didn't know, like, especially if I really like took a shine to a woman, a, well, a girl at that time, I was just kind of like, didn't know what the hell to do. So um yeah, I was I was a virgin until I was nineteen. I didn't even kiss anyone until I was nineteen because I was just enjoying uh, the my graffiti lifestyle and um, and had my head down at school. I wasn't really I didn't really start going out clubbing properly until I was maybe like seventeen, eighteen. Um, I was just it's weird because you know like graffiti is obviously like it's a mostly illegal pursuit, so. Even though I was doing that, I was also like not really like sneaking into clubs or anything like that, like a lot of people talk about in in our industries. And I've still got my diaries from maybe the age of like 13, 14. Oh, crazy. Until I was about seven. Yeah, until I was about 17, 18, when I started to really get into graffiti on a deeper level. So I didn't really want to keep a diary anymore because it was all talking about illegal activities. <laughs> <I> stopped, but, <laughs> but, um, a, a lot of my, uh, I'd say one of the main threads for a lot of my diary entries was, oh, I just wish I could get a girlfriend. And if I get designer clothes and if I do this, then maybe I'll get a girlfriend and just just Aww. stuff like this, just yearning for like a person to, to be my special person. And, you know, like sort of fancying people from afar and not being able to do anything about it. And then there was this one time... <laughs> It's a bit of a long story, but I'm going to cut it very short. But this um, this girl sent me a Valentine's card. This girl that I'd met on a school trip sent me a Valentine's card. And I didn't really realize that it was her. And I just kind of like didn't really do anything with it. And then I thought we met up and went on a date. But it was like super awkward. I didn't even know what to say to her or do or anything. Um, and that just kind of crashed and burned because she just kind of ended up thinking okay (laughs) oh couldn't figure out what to do with yourself and it's interesting that like a jump from like that to writing for men's magazines it's like I know right it's 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 like somehow like adorable you're like how did this boy get from here to here um and I'm curious to how drugs and alcohol entered the picture alcohol was uh just maybe like 15, 14, 15. I never really liked the taste of like lager or, but my granddad, um, he, uh, he used to drink Guinness. He was like half Irish. So he used to drink Guinness and he let us 
taste it a little bit because he used to look after me and a couple of my cousins every weekend for quite a while when we were maybe like uh, like five, between like five and seven or eight or something. But I didn't like the taste of Guinness, didn't like the taste of beer or lager. And um, interestingly, my 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 nan's second husband was an alcoholic, so I was around that growing up for a few years. And then my mum's best friend, uh, when she moved out of, because uh, she used to live with my nan and my uncle for a while, um, from the time I was born till I was about six, when she moved out and got her own place, she ended up being best friends with an alcoholic as well. So alcoholism was something that I experienced firsthand as a youngster. And this this, this is really, really interesting, actually. Barely anybody in my family drinks, like huh. my mum and her. She's My mum's one of seven. Only one of her brothers uh, drinks, um, you know, on a sort of like, you know, casual typically British uh, basis. And then, because obviously there was like seven like aunties and uncles, um, barely any of those, barely, I don't think any of them really drink at all, apart from maybe that same uncle, I think a few of his kids, uh, probably they probably drink beer and stuff. But yeah, not, hardly any of us, especially now that I've, I've also stopped um, drinking. I, I feel so grateful when we have our family gatherings. I've got a really big family. And nobody's drinking. It's like such a weird thing for the, for a British family. Like there's no, no one even, yeah, no one even talks about it because we just don't do it. That's and, and but I'm so curious as to like how kind of coming from that background where you witnessed it, but it wasn't necessarily like your genetic lot. Like how it kind of escalated to a point that you eventually got sober. Yeah, I, it's. It, I think just I just got. I, I think I just got caught up in just doing what my peers do mm. it's like such a it's such a normal I don't even want to use the term rite of passage but it kind of is like we all just kind of slip into this this way of being especially in the UK where it's just it's so normalized it's so yeah. part of everyday life that you just do it and you don't even really question it it's just something that you do because everyone else does and we all just do it and yeah you know from like the age of 15 onwards it was just a normal thing to do escalated when I was a student because everyone's just getting smashed out of their face um had a couple of times where I blacked out and threw up all over myself um and if it was you know it was only a couple of times but even so it was like excessive drinking most of the three years that I was a student and then that carried on working when I was working at men's magazines then you know there was other stuff that was like floating around because you're in the media. So, you know, people have went to um, went to a few of the, the bigger clubs in London for the first time. Other things end up in your hands and then going down your throat. And it's like, it's one of those things where it just, it's all just so normal, especially in, in our world. It's yeah. just, you know, it's, it's a very, very normal thing. And I didn't really, after my first couple of, dalliances in around 2003 I didn't really didn't really do anything for quite a while uh, outside of alcohol until I would say maybe like probably like 2010 I went to Ibiza for the first time wow <laughs> like famous last words <laughs> gosh the 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 irresponsible the levels of irresponsibility if that's even a word oh my goodness it was it was 
I wouldn't change anything if I could go back because that was just my path to take. But it was highly, highly irresponsible. And I'm sure so many people can say the same thing about their first time in Ibiza or their first season in Ibiza. You know, you just, you come back basically emaciated because you haven't eaten and, well, you haven't eaten food. And, um, you know, it's just, yeah. But that that was a pivotal moment for me because that's when I really, I realised I wanted to write about music and fully in, immerse myself in in the world of electronic music. So it was a really important trip for me, but I I just did not look after myself at all on that trip. And then, yeah, just kind of carried on. That's That was, you know, it, I got swept up in it all. And then you're just out all the time and you're doing this and you're doing that and it's really fun. And yeah, like, like I say, um, and I'm going to probably re- reiterate this quite a few times, I don't have any regrets. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's that's awesome too to have the perspective of like I did what I needed to do to get where I needed to go, and like mm. I, then I had to make some changes, but yeah. like wouldn't change it for the world if if you could go back. I mean, and then how did you eventually get sober? Like, what was that kind of? How did that transpire? So I used to have uh, a sober month every November because in in electronic music once AD is out of the way that's the kind of like the last hurrah for the the big party party stuff but then you go into December like a couple of months later which is also like silly seasons so November was a month where sobriety was something that um you know became like a regular practice was this to like prove you could do it or was this just to give your body a reset between like Christmas parties (laughs) and Amsterdam dance event I don't know. I think maybe a bit of both, actually. I think maybe a bit of both. Uh, but, you know, it, does, it doesn't really touch the sides. If you do, like, 11 months of the year, you're, like, retoxing yourself and then you detox for a month of the year. It doesn't really touch the sides. So that that was kind of like an initial... And then, you know, going back to the therapist saying you should really consider just, like, you know, not doing that stuff anymore. Then went on a trip to Thailand to a, a lovely place called the Sanctuary, which is a wellness retreat. And there was, a, a, so, oh yeah, so, sorry. Yeah. So I have to get the chronology right. So I had, um, because I was starting to, to, to do little bits of work on, uh, actually going back to Amsterdam, I was in Amsterdam uh, with a friend of mine, Kim Booth, who is an amazing, amazing person. And she used to do PR for people like Carl Craig and Josh Wink, et cetera. Um, and she's she's a brilliant person. We, we we went for a walk around the red light district during ADE and bought a spliff. So I, I don't, I, I never liked smoking weed because it just completely does not agree with me. It sends me very stupid and very lethargic and paranoid. So it doesn't do anything Nightmare. positive for me. <laughs> And so anyway, we bought a spliff and we had a bit of a, a smoke and um, we just, we got lost in the red light districts, just going around in circles, but having these really lovely conversations that covered like such a broad spectrum of of topics from just silly stuff and laughing at things to like deeper stuff. And she told me that she'd been on this 10 day silent meditation retreat. And um, I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I've, there's a lot of noise in my life I could do with going somewhere silent. <laughs> and um it took me a little while and I Googled it and found out it was a practice called Vipassana. And uh, I, I applied to go 
to do it twice and then dropped out last minute because I just didn't feel like I could make the time for it. And then in uh, late uh, 2015, I had a very difficult psychedelic experience on Halloween. And um, during that experience, talking about gender, I, I saw all of these horrific men being really, really horrific to women. Mm-hmm. And after that experience, I basically hated men and hated myself. And I, I couldn't shake it off. I just had such a low opinion of men. And I was just like, we're horrible. The patriarchy is horrible. And I'm a feminist. And I just, and I just, I, I couldn't get past it. And I just, but I, I was also like, you've got to do something about this because this is in your head now. And you, you need to deal with this because you can't just hate men and hate yourself for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I, I finally, um, third time lucky, applied to go on another Vipassana course and I actually went this time because I was like I really want to sort my head out and so did that um I'd also I also went and did a couple of ayahuasca ceremonies and and basically just through having these quite I guess like extreme to a certain extent but these quite pronounced powerful experiences I I finally started to think that sobriety at that time I guess should be something that I um, could um, start doing rather than like wanting to it was more of a like should because yeah like I should want that (laughs) yeah like one of one of the precepts at Vipassana is that you you have to not have do substances alcohol everything else you know you have to be sober and you have to be sober in the lead up to a, a ayahuasca ceremony and um yeah just I guess like you know it, it it was a it wasn't like a cut and dry right I'm going sober now I'm going to do this kind of thing it was like a ge- a general kind of build-up parallel to just not having a very good time anymore mm. and it, it wasn't that I was addicted but it was habitual go out you're going to do that go out you're going to do that and always feeling crappy and having some good times while I was out but you know maybe even on the way home getting into a grump because I was like oh I didn't really want to do that again and oh god you know and just especially like you know come downs hangovers were just getting worse and worse and worse and they've always been pretty bad for me uh most of my life actually I've been sick either on the night or the next day so I think my body's always been trying to tell me don't Please do stop. that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I mean it's it's really interesting though because it seems like a lot of people have kind of a white light experience and that's the kind of the moment of clarity or whatever. And it seems like yours was much more like I should want that. And eventually kind of being able to like, look at the the reality of the landscape that of, of what drugs and alcohol was actually giving you. And it seemed like it was maybe not in aligned with the values that you had kind of started to take on with your meditation yeah. practice. And, and so was it kind of a gentle stepping away or did you have a last hurrah or how did that unfold? So it was, there's two parts to it, actually. So I went to this, um, I went to the sanctuary in Thailand. There was an ayahuasca ceremony happening towards the end of the trip. And one of our friends who was working there told us about this. And obviously it was like quite hush-hush because it's illegal like it is in most places in the world. But yeah, I went sober after having a, a, a lot of booze on the, the plane over there and actually kind of like missing half of the first day because it's just so battered. And so I was like, I relished the opportunity to be sober at this wellness retreat and have a lovely sober time and then have this ceremony at the end. And then I just carried it on when 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 I got home from from the sanctuary and carried it on for a year and a bit. 
and then had uh, quite a difficult time in my personal life because two friends completely separately within the space of 24 hours died. One, one, yeah, one died of stomach cancer. who was like a, a best friend of mine from, uh, you know, a few years back who we'd kind of like, you know, gone, not for any negative reason, but had kind of lost touch a little bit with each other. We were still in each other's lives on social media. And then a graffiti writer that I knew from years back um, had uh, done suicide to himself. So had these two things that happened in the space of 24 hours and going to the funerals was just so emotionally challenging that I, I, I started drinking again at the, at their wakes. And then I was going to Burning Man that same year and I hadn't been for a couple of years. And I was like, I'm not really going to be sober at Burning Man. And so do you know what? I'm just going to have a really fun summer and I'll have a really fun autumn and maybe I'll give up towards the end of the year. I decided that after, towards the end of the year, that I would stop completely. Um, so it was like this, this was the last hurrah, basically. Have a, have a wild summer, go to Burning Man, have a wild autumn, and then end of the year, that'll be it. Um, and it, it worked out exactly how I planned it to. Um, I had a really big blowout in the December of 2018. But then I went to Baltimore in April 2019, and that was my last big work trip before my daughter was born. And I didn't have a blowout, but I had a couple of beers, and then I was feeling a bit sick, like I had a throaty thing. So um, I can't remember the name of this club in Washington. I was in Washington for the last couple of weeks. What's the... What's that really famous club in Washington? Something, something. New yeah. Street Music Hall. Maybe you Where Sam, Sam the Man used to play. Rest in peace, Sam the Man. Um, and I just went up to the bar and I asked the bomb and I was like, I've got my throat's pretty messed up. Can you give me something for it? And that was the last drink I ever had. I think it was some kind of uh, whiskey or something like that. But yeah, so I count my sobriety, my actual proper sobriety from that last ever drink that I had to try and sort my throat out in April 2019. Wow, that's it's such it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot to people who are kind of in uh, 12 step and who are, you know, like self-described alcoholics or addicts. And it seems like your experience is kind of radically different from that and that you actually like I'm like, this is a novel concept. Like you wanted to stop, you decided yeah. to stop and you stopped. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, 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 that's awesome. I mean, it's it's so beautiful when it can actually happen like that. And I'm I'm curious as like what has changed in your life or in your relationships or your your work since you stopped drinking or using. I don't really know because I've managed. I always managed to be successful in my work, and I I don't know how much it impacted my relationships perhaps in terms of my I had mood swings you know especially around like those difficult Tuesdays um, unhappy Tuesdays yeah, <laughs> yeah unhappy Tuesdays um I don't yeah I guess maybe just the general kind of pressure that you end up under because you're pushing your mind and your body mm to you know to excessive levels you know like out for a 36 hour 48 hour 72 hour weekend or just I don't know just waking up feeling really cruddy because you've just put a load of toxic stuff in your body and how that impacts your mood but then I don't know because going back to my move to Reading and 
and all of that other kind of stuff. Like I'd, I still don't think that my ability to regulate my emotions was very good. And so I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to gauge because I've just done it. And then I'm just, I kind of feel like I'm just still the same person with the same flaws and stuff that needs to be worked on because the work never stops so indeed but I mean I am I'm curious as to kind of like I think for a lot of us you know alcoholic or non-alcoholic if we stop drinking there has to be some kind of um different strat like often we drink as like self-medication right and so in order Mm. to stop there's also there's often kind of different strategies that have to come into place and because you do have such an emphasis on like kind of positive mental attitude I'm curious as to like what are some strategies you employ to support your recovery or to or your mental health today I think the the number one thing which I I still battle with a lot is is being kind to myself Mm. really it is such a it 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 really shouldn't be such such a battle but it is such a, a bad habit of beating myself up or you know talking negatively to myself and it's it's much much better than it used to be way way better and I've got Vipassana to thank for that mostly you know um just learning to just be kind to myself in my own head and that that can really help by the way like I never ever have any kind of hankering for a drink when I'm out and about like I literally never look at someone's drink and go oh wow oh you know drooling going oh I'd love to have a beer or I'd love to have a vodka lemonade or you know whatever drink because I just don't want it I, I, and I'm glad that I don't want it. And I, I don't I don't actually even really struggle in situations unless I'm feeling tired or, you know, my tolerance is low because maybe I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a low mood or something. I don't really struggle in situations where everyone's getting smashed. Mm-hmm. And I've been I've been in hotel rooms this year with people that are just like racking up lines and doing this and doing that. And I'm just like, yeah, cool, man. You guys crack on conversations with people where they're repeating themselves. And, you know, sometimes it gets a little bit tiresome but for the most part I can entertain it and be in those kind of spaces and feel comfortable and I'm lucky I know because a lot of people would struggle in those kind of situations I think just generally being kind to myself and learning to find whatever it was alcohol and other stuff gave me access to or I thought gave me access to finding it within myself it's been a bit of a process but for sure you know that that energy, that confidence, that buoyancy, that the, the the social skills. You know, because I did have a bit of social anxiety, I'm sure, um, that led to me, you know, needing to take the edge off and be on the same level as other people. You know, all of those things that get trotted out when people talk about, um, you know, doing stuff um, in a social context. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Just it's just, I guess it's mostly for me. It's just the strength of my will. And and the longer it's gone on, the easier it gets. You know, it's been it's been four and a half, over four and a half years now, and like I said, I can I can go to a lot of different spaces and and feel comfortable. And and you know, it's weird because like sometimes I, I like I was on a stag do in in Ibiza in 2019, and I was like the one that would like be out for the longest and you know out dancing everybody else and you get chatting to someone and it's like nine in the morning and somehow it slips out that you're sober and they're like wow how are you still out how are you still doing it and it's like 
the music, man. <laughs> <laughs> Remember why you're you know? there, yeah. Yeah, like the, the music. And I buzz off being around people. As much as I can be introverted, I do get a lot of energy from being around people and I can bounce around and I can be very like socially like flirtatious with guys and with girls. And I just love to sort of drape myself around people and kiss them on the head and be, be tactile. And, you know, especially when people are um, drunk or high, like their energy's pretty high too most of the time so I kind of like I can get my giddiness and my buoyancy from other people and being around that energy very cool I mean it also seems like so much of the work that you've done and like even kind of your essentially like your spiritual awakening it's like the work of the passion if I'm not mistaken is like presence <laughs> so it's like it's antithetical to to want to get out of the present by getting fucked up right mm -hmm. yeah totally whereas totally. like as somebody somebody who is in recovery for different reasons perhaps it's like all i want to do is not be here and the, the work is even like to get to want to want to be here you know yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm in a really lovely sober group on whatsapp and a lot of the people in there you know especially like this time of the year as well are kind of struggling with invites to christmas parties and stuff and how to navigate them and, and all of that kind of thing and I, I never really get involved in those kind of conversations because I don't want to sound arrogant, but mm. like I kind of think to myself, I, it's just not a struggle for me at all. You know, like it, it's like the thing is, I, I, like none of those things were my addiction. None of those things were the things that I felt were like really part of my identity. And mm. so it was very easy for me to just go no more. You know, it was a habit. It was part of my lifestyle but it wasn't something that I, I took solace in or it was escapism. I mean, definitely like, you know, escape from emotions perhaps and, and numbing emotions, but it wasn't so heavily ingrained into my being yeah. that I struggled to separate myself from it. Well, it also seems, and I think that this is actually maybe a huge takeaway from this conversation is because I think a lot of people who have a similar experience to yours, who they're just kind of, they don't necessarily have like the alcoholic identity, this like, too much is not enough thing going on, but that they get kind of swept up in a lifestyle or a culture that involves a lot of heavy drinking or using. And that like, because it's not bad enough, the idea of stopping never kind of occurs. Cause it's like, Oh, like I don't belong in a 12 step fellowship or, Oh, like cold Turkey seems kind of hardcore. Like it, the option of just like quitting for one's own well-being is like not on the table somehow unless it's really really bad and so this idea of like no like you can kind of just opt out is like a novel concept culturally because I think that there's a lot of especially having you know been in the UK drinking culture oh my god like <laughs> it's like yeah. unlike anywhere I've ever witnessed except for maybe Boston which is <laughs> 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 like so so to kind of have this like gentle path of like it's not even like it's not even a it's hard stance right it's not like if I drink I'll die it's like no I just I I don't want that for myself anymore like I want to yeah. I want to live my life you know um yeah. And I'm curious, I mean, and it's cool, actually, because you were like, I don't employ any strategies. And then you're like, I have a sober WhatsApp group. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about fatherhood because I wonder how, you know, it seems like you stopping drinking was like very coincided very neatly with the, the birth of your kid. And I wonder how 
sobriety has either informed your father, your parenting or if parenting has informed your sobriety. Yeah, it's really funny. When I've mentioned it to people, yeah, so my daughter was born in June 2019 and I was given up like two months before she was born. And I, I have to be very honest, I didn't even consider that that was like coincidal, um, the coincidence of that at all. And so... Um, but people have pointed it out to me and I've gone, oh yeah, I've been sober her whole, her whole life. She's never, ever seen me have a drink. And I'm, I'm quite happy about that. Um, in terms of how it's informed fatherhood, then yeah, I don't, I, I never, I, I never, you know, have a parent with a hangover or come down. So, you know, going back to the mood thing that I spoke about before, um, I'm, I'm never, you know, that I don't have that level of uh, intolerance, perhaps. But then, you know, I, I, I can sometimes be quick to temper because, like, you know, as a man, unfortunately, like that's one of the few emotions that seems to be sort of permitted when you're growing up. So, mm -hmm. um, but I think I, uh, I'll, 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 I'll give it to you in this way through other other people's feedback about how they've seen me parent. And a lot of people say that I'm I'm gentle. I think I'm naturally gen gentle and kind anyway, but I'm gentle and I have like a, a good, solid, like safe presence with, mm. with her. And I, I I can't say how that would be back when I was like drinking and whatnot, but I'm sure, you know, I've, I've, I'm very much the same person in many ways. Um, I think it helps, you know, with the, the meditation, et cetera um just just to be present and and yeah that's that's i think that's one of the most important things for me as a parent is to be present loving safe and and to, but also to to give her the space to be who she is without me being too much of a dictator you know even down to like what career do I want her to have or anything like that? I don't, I don't want to sort of have that as something that I dictate. I just want her to just be whoever she is and choose her path with me as her support and her guide. That's really beautiful. And I mean, I think, you know, so much as somebody who's not a parent myself, <laughs> I observed that a lot of parenting is about kind of showing up. And as you said, being present. And like, I think that sobriety offers a lot greater ease of just the ability to show up and be present. So that's, yeah, and, that's really nice. And, the, the, obviously there are a lot of circumstances with children because of the, the way that they're built and you know they're, they're not fully matured where they can be very unreasonable they can push your buttons to the hilt and I don't have to at the end of a difficult day with her go oh god I just want to crack open a beer I just want to get a bottle of wine and down it and blah 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 you know no judgment to anybody, but you have like the in the UK. There's this thing where it's like um, wine o'clock. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, there's like wine mums and you know um, dads and mums who go out and they get smashed together to you know release the stress of being a parent. And uh, I I don't do that. That's not something that is like part of my whole kind of like setup as a as a parent. I I just kind of like deal with the stuff in in my own way and um yeah i, I do i i probably think um I, i'm calmer um but also not not calmer sometimes because they definitely know how to wind us up <laughs> i mean and that was like kind of one of the the last questions is like where are you growing today <laughs> oof 
that's yeah um i think so since uh 2014 when i first decided that i wanted to seek help and i went to a therapist i really threw myself into well-being and and i've done a lot of different stuff in fact there was a point where me and a friend were in the process of writing a book together um, because she's also done a lot of stuff, but kind of more on the kind of like astrology, clairvoyant side of things. But together, when we combine our experiences, we've done a lot, a lot of stuff. Supplements, ice baths, which I still do to this day, you know, meditation, lots of different plant medicines like this, that, the other, you know, pretty much anything you can think of. And I got to this point at the beginning of this year, uh, I started reading a book about inner child work. Mm. And I just I just thought to myself, do you know something? I think I'm just going to park this and I'm just going to enjoy myself for a while. And rather than being like preoccupied with healing myself and thinking there's something wrong with myself that I need to fix all the time, just enjoy your life for a bit. And, you know, like just yeah, relax <laughs> and just be rather than trying to fix all the time because it's actually quite a toxic way of thinking that, you know, I'm broken and I need wrong. to be fixed. Yeah. What's wrong with me? Like, I'm wrong, I'm broken. And yeah, we've all got our flaws. And you know what? You could go to your you could go to your grave and still have a lot of those flaws because the work never stops. But also sometimes you just need to just kick back and just go, you know something... I'm a flawed human being and I accept myself for being a flawed human being, which is a v- actually very, very difficult thing to do. For sure. There's so much perfectionism within all of us and we all want to be these perfect examples of human beings, which is really, really um, toxic in its own way because you're yeah. suppressing your dark side and you're suppressing I mean, the shadow. Also, I think it's like, it's a very kind of capitalistic, individualistic, like... Like somebody's profiting off my need to be perfect, you mm. know? Yeah. And like, there's a certain, there's a, like, even within kind of 12 step, there's this idea of like, can I just get like my thinking obsessively about myself, even in the way that like, I have to do better. I have to fix it. I have to heal. It's like, it's still self-centered, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I remember my therapist was, it's like, why, like, who said you had to be perfect? Like, why do you have to be so good? <laughs> he was easy. He's like, he's like, it grosses me out. <laughs> <laughs> like wow david <laughs> but it's, it's been really true, helpful though. yeah because it's like man like it's fucking boring you know so that's yeah. i actually really love that as a, as a growth point um yeah you know i'll just i just wanted to say you know that the the more i've learned to do what i'm doing like i am here on on this podcast and and just share and and be open and vulnerable the more it elicits that kind of response in other people and then you start to learn like, wow, like people might look at me from the outside and think, oh yeah, you know, music journalist has traveled the world, has done this and done that, blah, 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 all these amazing experiences. But I'm still just a human being who just fucks up all the time and like hurts people and like does this and does that. And, you know, not is not always the perfect parent and sits at my laptop sometimes thinking like, I'm shit at this and my peers are so much better than me and like all of this kind of stuff. And if you can just be open about all of that kind of stuff, then I think it helps all of us to feel a bit more unified and, and also 
I guess, like, learn to accept ourselves a bit more because it's like none of us know really what we're doing. We're just all doing our best in a very difficult world to navigate. Indeed. I think that's a really a really beautiful note to, to wrap on. So I'm going to quickly to to um, wind down in a, in a lighthearted way. We're going to um, descend into the lightning round, so don't think too hard. Uh, what's your favorite snack? <laughs> oh, there's these, uh, what are they called? There's these chocolate biscuits. Oh, I can't remember the name of them. Uh, there's these cho chocolate biscuits that I get. I seem to buy them about three or four times a week from my local supermarket. <laughs> and there's like nine in a box. And I always, I always go to myself, oh, I'll just have a couple and then I'll save them for tomorrow. And then within half an hour, they're all gone. Well, that's because the boxes aren't big enough, clearly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite way to wind down? I love to just plonk myself down on my sofa and put records on or put a nice mix on. I, there's almost nothing better for me in terms of winding down than just being sat and not... <laughs> This is the introvert in me, uh, or maybe the unsociable part of me, not having to talk to anyone and just sitting and <laughs> listening to music. Yes, I concur. Um, what is your favorite way to get pumped up? Oh, I love doing weights. I love, I love, love. This kind of plays into the, the masculinity thing. It's really good for testosterone production and um, uh, like sexual health, etc. You know, in terms of like you know just everything and being in working order. And um, and it just it feels really good. Like the day before my driving test, I had a lesson that was not very good because I had a, some heavy stuff on my mind. And when I finished the lesson, I came home and I just did about an hour of like just pumping iron. And I felt so much better because I just had this catharsis. You know, it wasn't even like I was focusing on anything specific, but it's just that that energetic catharsis, that physical catharsis, and also just movement in general. If you're feeling crappy, move, do something, run, do some lifting, whatever it is, because it helps immensely. Absolutely. It's funny, though, because it's like I think the the difference often for me between like doing cardio and doing weights is because like I get when they talk about like meathead, like I get because all the, mus the all the blood is rushed to muscle. <laughs> like you do feel kind of relaxed and stupid, which is like my favorite, <laughs> my mm. favorite post-workout feeling. And that's yes, <laughs> I getting pumped up by pumping ion is fantastic. Um and so what turns you on and that can be either sexually or kind of creatively or intellectually or physically like I leave it to you. Vibrancy across the boards. Vibrancy. Uh, just the energy, the vibrant energy, really, it really turns me on, you know, and it's, it's kind of in a little, in, in, in a way it's kind of intangible, but I suppose creatively, because, you know, obviously I, I paint, I do graffiti and stuff. I'm, I'm really turned on by paintings that have bold colours and like movement, uh, but are, are quite simple and have like, you know, don't have a lot of too much detail to them. So there's a lot of specific artists that I'm really into. Like, like Kandinsky is one of my favorite, favorite artists, like Matisse, like all that kind of style that's kind of like abstract, but there's bold colors and movement. I'm actually moving my hands as I'm talking. <laughs> um, and um, and I guess that that turns me on in people as well. You know, I like vibrancy. I like a, a good energy coming off a person and um 
yeah, it's uh, it's it's a big turn. I mean, I've I've got many turn-ons sexually. Yeah. <laughs> I could be I could be here all night, but um, yeah, I think that's that definitely something that attracts me to a person is is a, a vibrancy of of character and a, a and a vibrancy sometimes like in terms of their fashion as well. But yeah, I, and I, I like um, openness and and honesty and stuff as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I could literally be here all night. I'm, I get turned on by life sometimes itself. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Vibrancy and vitality, perhaps. Yeah. Um, what's a track you're excited about playing right now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, what's the track I'm excited about playing right now? Oh, I've just been playing this tune quite old, though. Um, it's just that's on cool. my turntable. Um, can I just, I'm just going to grab it because I've, <laughs> yeah. I've just been playing it repeatedly. Hold on a second. I can't remember the name of it. So, hold on a um, so it's by it's by my 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 boy Billy Johnston from Florida, and a guy called Gennaro Mas, Mastrantonio, and it's um it's a tune called Push On, and there's there's two mixes. It's their original mix, and then Patrick Bateman's Pushing On mix. Ah, oh, just I've just literally every time the record finishes, I'm like oh, and then I just put the again. <laughs> awesome! So, I love specificity. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and finally, what do you love? My daughter so much. I love her so much. I tell her all, all the time. She's probably when she gets older, she's gonna get bored of me telling me that telling her that I love her. Uh, I love her so much. The music, it's just been it's been with me since before I was even born. My mum used to play me music when I was in the womb. My dad was in a reggae sound system. I always say it's in my DNA. It really is. And um I th you know what I don't um I, th I I do I do get turned on by life and I as much as there's you know there's so much pain and difficulty and all of this stuff I do I'm so grateful to be alive so I, I love I love life and I, I don't think I say that enough I do express gratitude but I don't actually say I love life and I'm really fortunate to be able to say that because I don't live in a war zone I live in Reading, where there's hardly <laughs> ever going to be a, a war or anything, you know, traumatic to that extent happening. And as much as it's been a difficult transition, I'm so lucky. I've got my own little house and I've got my own little sound system. I've got techniques, turntables, which I always dreamed of having. I've got records. Yeah, I don't really want for, for very much. You know, when, when, it come, when Christmas comes around, my grandmother asks me what I want. And I'm like, I don't need anything. There's nothing I need. And um, yeah, I'm I'm lucky. So you know, I, I love life as well. That's beautiful. Um, thank you for sharing that love with us today. And where can we find you on the www? My handle is M Golden Barnes across pretty much all of the main socials, apart from TikTok. Um, so M G O L D E N B A R N E S, and you'll find me. Or you can just type in Marcus Barnes Graffiti on Google or Marcus Barnes Journalists and you'll find lots and lots of stuff relating to my wonderfully colourful life. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your energy today, Marcus. It's really been a pleasure to get to know you better. Oh, thank you. I'm so, so grateful that you and, and honoured that you asked me to take part. It's been really nice to talk about all of this stuff and so I'll be asked interesting questions that have made me think a little we try. <laughs> well, have an awesome rest of your night. Creativity.
sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got expectable growth. Suffer, sex, all of this and more. Suffer, sex, you'll never get bored. Suffer, sex, all of this and more. Suffer, sex, we're never ever bored. Creativity, authenticity, body autonomy, and mental health. Sexuality, gender identity, recovery, recovery, got a spiritual growth. Suffer, sex, you'll never get bored.